0: You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Hey man, you glad to be here this morning? Yes, man, y'all sound good. How many many school-aged kid parents do we have? All right, so that's probably why y'all sound good. How many of you quoted Matthew 28 to your kids? Therefore, go, and you just stop the verse right there. Like, that. man, school started back, and I am pumped up about that, man. uh, My kids are just blessings and gifts from the Lord, and also they can be demons somehow, like at the same time, and I don't get it, but man, I am glad school started back. We're going to continue on in our series through Psalms, being Psalm 100 this morning, um, if you want to turn there. <clears throat> but this is the question I really want to ask What can we offer God? Like, as, as human beings, as, as people thinking about the Creator, the sovereign King of the universe, what is it that we can offer to Him? What does He need? What does He want from us? The truth is this God. He desires to be worshiped and we'll see that in Psalm 100. He desires to be worshiped. Also we see that he, he commands to be worshiped. But here's the funny part is he doesn't need to be worshiped. Like God isn't in heaven wondering, "Man, I wonder if Impact Church is going to sing my favorite song this morning." That's not what's happening. That's not how it works. He doesn't need anything from us. He is who he is. He is complete and perfect without anything that we could bring or offer to him. So why do we worship? This is week eight of this series, and we've looked at what it what it means to worship. And, and we've seen that the, the ultimate definition of worship is just us responding to who God is and what God has done. So why do we do that? If He doesn't need it, then why do we do it? And here's the truth. We do it because we need it. We do it because we need it. The, the title of Psalm 100, it, it talks about His steadfast love. His steadfast love endures forever. Now, to understand this, he, the Hebrew language, the, the words or phrases, they have word pictures that go along with the words and the phrases. So for instance, the word cat in Hebrew, the word picture would be curl up. And I love to see cats curled up, like maybe not breathing. I'm just kidding. That's, that's me. I'm not a cat guy. If you're a cat person, again, we have a lot of support groups here and we can, we can get you connected with that. So steadfast love here though, the word picture in Hebrew is that of a of a nursing mother nursing her child. And yes, it's weird for a guy to talk about that, but we're going to talk about it because it's very important that we understand what this steadfast love really means. And they say that when, when a newborn baby cries, then like the, the, the body of the mother just automatically begins to produce what the baby needs. And in the same way, what this this steadfast love phrase is telling us is that when we cry out to God, He produces exactly what we need. He is the only thing that can fully satisfy us. His steadfast love is all there is to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. And some of you, you walked into this place and you don't feel very satisfied. You feel like something's missing. You feel like the life is just is passing you by or is beating you down or there's some things going on that you just you don't have that satisfaction. And man, I want to tell you the truth this morning. And if you hear nothing else, hear this. Satisfaction is only found in Jesus. Satisfaction is only found in His steadfast love. We cry out to God and God gives to us the very thing we need. Do you cry out to God in worship? Now, we're going to see in Psalm 100, we're not going to talk about singing. We did that a few weeks ago. We talked about what that looked like and why we sing and why we raise our hands and maybe why we dance around and all this stuff. We talked about that. This psalm is more of, this is a lifestyle of worship. Worship isn't just something that happens on Sunday morning when you come to church. Worship is a lifestyle that we live. And if you don't know what that looks like, my prayer is that after we go through these five verses together in Psalm 100, you will understand. Let's read, starting in verse 1. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. God, we pray that You speak this morning through Your Spirit. We're expecting You to do what only You can do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to give you seven instructions, seven directions, um, seven imperatives, whatever word you want to use that we see in this psalm. Verse one says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. This is the first imperative, make a joyful noise. Now, I always thought that it meant something that it doesn't really mean. And I think that we, we quote this a lot when people don't sing very good and we're like, hey, God says to make a joyful noise. That's really not what this means. We still want you to sing even if you don't sing good. But this isn't talking about Singing. The, the phrase joyful noise here, it really means a war cry. It means that when we come before God in worship, we come to Him understanding that the victory has already been won. We come to Him understanding that, that there is a war going on and there is an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. There is an enemy who wants to, to take you out. But we come before Him in worship knowing that that God has already won the victory through Jesus Christ. So it's a war cry. We make a joyful noise. We, we make a war cry because of what He's already done. See, a lot of times we want to fight for victory. And the truth is that there's no reason for us to fight for victory. We worship from a place of victory. We've already won We've already won the battle and we have to get to a place internally in our relationship with Jesus where we believe that the battle has already been won. How many of you believe that the battle has already been won? Amen? The battle doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And I'd rather Him fight my battles anyway. For example, when I'm at home, there's some battles that take place with my kids and with my wife. And it's just battling, right? And sometimes I call upon the name of the Lord to help me in those battles. Like, God, you said you already won the battle. I need you to take Ashley out, do whatever you have to do in this moment. Like, don't kill her. Just like put her to sleep for just a little while. Let her forget some amnesia, whatever it is. And he usually shows me where I messed up and he's like, all right, so you're not going to win this one, buddy. Like, you jack this one up. Man, we sing, we worship, we make a joyful noise because the battle is already won. The second imperative is this in verse 2. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. So worship isn't just what you say. It's not just words that you say. It's how you live your life. It's serving the Lord with gladness. And this is a pastor put it this way. He said, save people, serve people. Once we've been rescued, then we join the rescue team and we begin to serve. We engage in the mission of making a kingdom difference. We, we allow God to work through us and we serve Him by serving other people. And I want you to know that there's multiple ways for you to serve here at Impact Church. There's multiple ways. Last week we had a ton of people serve at our back-to-school bash. And it would not have gone as well as it went without the, the people who committed and invested their time to serve God through serving other people. And I'm going to throw this plug out there. there there's two huge needs right now at Impact Church, and they're both in the back with Impact Kids. We need two people to, to step up and to serve in Impact Kids once a month throughout the end of this year. So if you're interested in that, you can go to the next steps table at the end of service and someone can get you connected with that. The brother of Jesus said this in James 2. He said, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is that He's basically saying that saved people serve people. That once we have been wrecked by Jesus, once the grace just impacts our life, then it should flow through us and we should serve other people. Here's, Here's the deal. We don't just serve to meet a need. We serve because Jesus gave us the example of what it looked like to serve. And then He commanded us to go and to serve. So if you're not plugged in, my encouragement to you is that that is a part of living a life of worship is to begin to serve. And what happens is just yes, you're a blessing to other people, but something happens inside of you when you begin to serve people. Your life begins to change. Your heart begins to change. Something happens inside of you. In John 13, right before Jesus was arrested, he dressed himself as a servant and he washed his disciples' feet. And the Bible says that all authority under heaven on earth was given to him and in his authority, he dresses himself as a servant and he washes his disciples' feet. And he says, I have set for you an example. Blessed are you if you do likewise. And what's the blessing? The blessing is the steadfast love of God begins to change our heart. Are you serving? The end of this verse says to serve with gladness, not grumpiness. Some of us, man, we serve with grumpiness. And if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, because you, I can tell my, my. I'm not going to tell you her name, but she's the oldest. She, I, can, I can tell her to, hey, unload the dishwasher, and it's like she gets asthma all of a sudden. It's like, ugh, ugh. Uh, it's like what happened can you not breathe anymore she doesn't really do that anymore now she's just like bro bro like if you call me bro one more time man you're you're moving out of my house because i'm not your bro i'm your dad i'm your father and i will take you out i don't need god to intervene for that i can do that myself but man is they serve with grumpiness and it's a picture of what we do a lot of times as Christ followers is, man, there's an opportunity to serve and, and we, we don't really want to do it so we, we do it anyway because people are watching us or we feel like we have to and then there's a bunch of grumpiness that happens when we're serving and, and God's saying, hey, that's not the way I want you to serve. I want you to serve with gladness. I want you to, to be glad about serving because I served you. And He set the example for us. The third imperative, it says, come into His presence with singing. And I think we take this for granted because we just don't, I don't think we quite understand the significance of, of being able to come into the presence of God. See, when this was written, the, the Hebrew people, they would have thought that this was a limited invitation for them. Because only one person, one time a year, could enter into the Holy of Holies, could enter into the presence of God, So they, they must have thought, well, this is a limited invitation to come into His presence. But then Jesus came, and Jesus told His disciples, hey, come here, come, come into My presence and abide in Me. And then when Jesus pushes up on His nail-pierced feet, and He cries out, it is finished, an earthquake tears through the middle of Jerusalem, and, and the curtain that separated the presence of God from the people of God, it was torn in two. Not from the bottom up. It's not like we work our way there. No, it was torn from the top down. And what that signifies now is that there there is no mediator. That we are all priests as believers and we have direct access to the sovereign king of the universe. We can enter into His presence. Do you think about that? Have you thought about the importance and the significance of being able to enter into the presence of the King of Kings? Who can, who can enter into the presence of a king without an appointment? His kids. That's who. His kids can enter into His presence. It's like your kids. And they have direct access to you all the time. Have you ever been sleeping, deep sleep in the middle of the night and you wake up and there's a kid just staring at you like, hey dad, Have, no? Okay, well that happens to me sometimes, sometimes because usually they're on their mama's side because they love their mama. So they go over there and they're like, hey mama, and she's just, she's dead to the world so I'm awake, just kind of waiting to see what happens and I'm like, all right, so I wonder how long he's going to stand there before she, she sees and it, it goes on a lot sometimes. The other night, it happened. She puts, she puts my son in the bed. I take him back to his bed about 30 minutes later. She wakes up. She texts me. I was like, hey, did Alden sleep with us last night? Yeah, you put him in the bed. Like, she didn't remember any of that. But here's the, the truth is that our kids can come to us whenever they want. They don't need an appointment to come see Dad. They can wake me up any time they need to wake me up. Now, I might not be nice at first, but they still have access to me. If you come into my house and you wake me up in the middle of the night, it's going to be a different story. Like, you don't have access to me like that. And we have access to the King of the universe where we can just enter into His presence. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to have this relationship. The fourth imperative is this. Verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. The fourth imperative is to know that He is God. To know that He is God, not to feel that He is God, like feelings aren't enough. And it's okay to have feelings, but feelings make terrible lords and terrible decision makers. Like we have to know that He is God. And what is the best way for us to know that He is God? It is to know His Word. It is to dig into His Word and to know that He is who He says He is. Do you really believe that He is who He says He is? Do you really believe that He is the the sovereign King of the universe? Do you really believe that He sent Jesus on a rescue mission to save you? Do you really believe that Jesus defeated death? Do you really believe that the tomb is empty? Do you really believe that Jesus is in heaven right now at the right hand of God making intercession, praying for His people. Do you believe that? Do you really know that He is God? And often I tell you that the Bible, it's a map and a mirror. It's a map in the fact that it lays out how we should live life as Christ followers. It's also a mirror to show us that we can't do it without Him. But, but even more than that, it should also be like a window or a lens to, to seeing who Jesus is. If you want to know more about God then you read His Word, you can learn a lot about who He is. And I can't make you love what I love, man. I love, love, love learning things from Scripture. And if you've ever learned anything at Impact Church, I promise you that I'm not the one teaching you that the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. That He is the real preacher at Impact Church. It's not me. It's not Pastor Andrew. It's no one on stage. It is the Holy Spirit and He reveals His Word to you. But are you digging into Scripture? But Scripture isn't where it ends. I don't want you to think that, man, if I just believe in Scripture, then everything's good. In John 5, Jesus is talking. Have you ever... Have you ever met a religious person that really knows a lot about the Bible, but they don't really live it out? They don't exude Christianity very much. Anybody met somebody like that? Yeah, it happens all the time, right? Man, they know a lot about the Bible. They just don't really show that in the way that they live. They, they don't really have that personal relationship and connection. Jesus called them the Pharisees, and we see it in John 5. It says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard His form you have never seen, and you do not have His Word abiding in you. Now, this would have been an insult to them because they knew the Word of God. For you do not believe the One whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. So while Scripture is so important, and it shows us who God is, it doesn't save you, only Jesus can save you. Like it bears witness to who Jesus is. That's how we get to know more about Him. It says, know that the Lord, He is God. The fifth imperative, verse 4 says, enter His gates. Enter His gates. What this means basically is that worship is a team sport, man. We're doing it together. That, that we don't forsake meeting together as a faith family. That we, we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't neglect it. That we, we really embrace the fact that we get to come together and meet together and worship together corporately. That we get to live life together in a state of worship. The New Testament really says that once you're rescued, once you become a Christ follower, you are then a part of the body of Christ. And a disconnected part isn't, isn't a good thing. Let's say that you were walking to your car after service and you see a disconnected foot all by itself in the parking lot. What's going to happen to that foot? Well, one, it's going to stink pretty bad. It's going to shrivel up and eventually it's going to die. Like a attached foot ain't that pretty anyway. Uh, a disconnected foot is, is going to be bad. Like I can imagine Pastor Andrew going out there and seeing a disconnected foot and the toes just wiggling by itself. Like that would... That would freak him out, man. And I can tell you your future when you are disconnected from the body of Christ, it will stink, you will shrivel up, and you will die. Because we are saved into the body of Christ and we are a member and we are connected to that body. And here's the truth. It's not just the foot that's having a bad time. There's, there's now a one, one-footed guy hopping around. He ain't doing too good either. Like we need you to to do your part in the body of Christ. You have a part to play. Stay connected. Make it a priority to come to church. And there's some people watching online and man, praise God that we have the ability to do this, that we have the ability to, to have an online service. For some people, they're traveling and this is a way for them to stay connected. And praise God for that. For other people, maybe they don't live really close, but they haven't found a church home where they feel like they could grow and be discipled and impact. It's just become that for them and praise God for that. Some people, they're just sick or maybe they just can't make it physically to a church and this is the way that they can can plug in and praise God for that. And for other people, man, you're just lazy. You're just not coming. So stop being lazy and come to church. If you can come to church, you should be here not to make me feel better. You should be here because you should want to be connected to this faith family. If this is your home church, you should want to be here so that you could do this thing together with other people, so that you can live this lifestyle of worship together. The sixth imperative is this. It says give thanks. Bless His name. So give thanks to Him. And I've, I've read you guys some of my gratitude list and that was homework for you, by the way, like two times now. So I'm hoping that by now you have completed that assignment and you've created your gratitude list. If you haven't and maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, the gratitude list is I, I've written down something that I'm thankful for for each year that I've been alive. So I've got 36 things on my list. For some of you, you're going to have more. Some of you, you're going to have less than that. But I would start that because when we begin to feel entitled and we begin to feel like, woe is me, we can look at this gratitude list and say, man, look at, look at all the things that God has done for me. And it helps just create a posture of worship within us. But worship, again, is us responding to all that He's done, but also to all that He is. So I was challenged, how about you make a gratitude list about who God is and not just what God has done? And when you start writing that list, it gets a little harder because man, we're, we're, we're selfish people and it's like, well, I'm really grateful for all the stuff that God has done, but how grateful are you for who God is? That He's loving, that He's gracious, that He's merciful, that He's all-knowing, that He's ever-present, that He offers forgiveness, that He creates life, that He brings dead people from death life all these different things about who he is and the seventh imperative is this give thanks to him and then it says bless his name and this really brings me back to the original question is what can I do to bless the name of God what can I do to to bless the name of of the creator of the universe Of the Savior of the world. What can I bring to Him? Who who am I that I could bring anything to Him that would bless His name? And Here's the truth. The only thing we can give to God is us. That's what He wants. He wants you. And He wants all of you. He doesn't want a little piece of you, a little part of you. No, he He wants all of you and I can't think of anything else that we can bring him except us. Like we can't he doesn't need anything from us. But man, he wants a relationship with us. So how can I bless his name is to give him all of me. Now it's not just obedience. If you had a if you had a kid and they were just obedient to you all the time but there wasn't really any love there, then that wouldn't be good if you wanted that. You'd get a dog and teach them how to be obedient and you could have that. But it's also not all love because if if your kids tell you they love you, love you, love you and then they don't obey you at all, you start questioning whether they really love you or not. No, it's a love-driven obedience that we have with God. That because He loves us and because we love Him, we want to live life the way that He tells us to live life. And we give Him everything that we are everything that we have and it's not about getting it right all the time maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking well i definitely don't get it right all the time and I, there's no way that i can do that and you're absolutely right that's why he sent jesus on a rescue mission if you could do it right every single time then we wouldn't have needed jesus We're not going to always get it right. And guess what? He knows that and He still loves you. He knows the deepest parts of you and He still loves you. He knows your struggles and He still loves you. You say, well, why does He love me? And that's a good question. And here's the the only answer I have. This is my answer personally. This is what I believe. Is that He loves you because that's just who He is. Because He is love because we're not worthy of it i'm not worthy of his love but he loves me because he is just love and then he sends jesus on a rescue mission to save sinners like me and like you so we see seven imperatives and then we see the why So he starts with seven, which is, by the way, biblically, is the number of completion. And I think that's for a reason. But then we see the why. And the why is found in verse five. It says, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. We worship because he is good. We worship because His steadfast love endures forever. We worship because He is who He says He is. We're going we're gonna to close with just a, a few things. Is that maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking it, it ain't all good. Like my life ain't all good. My finances, they're not good. My marriage ain't doing really good. My work situation's not doing really good. My health's not doing really good. And I I believe you. And I'm not saying all that stuff is good. I'm saying God is good. I'm saying that God is good and that His steadfast love endures forever. It's, It's not about circumstances, right? We don't worship circumstances. We worship God. We worship through our circumstances. That when it gets hard, we worship through it. That when things don't seem to be going good in our life, we worship through it is that we trust that He really is who He says He is. And it ends with this, and this is a this is a powerful line to me, and it says, in His faithfulness to all generations. Aren't you glad that God's love doesn't depend on your faithfulness? Aren't you glad that God's love didn't depend on generations before us? That, that God looks at the generation and says, man, they have lost it like their faithfulness is gone, so I'm done loving. Praise God that He doesn't do that. And praise God that He doesn't look at our faithfulness to bless and to love the next generation. It's not about my faithfulness or your faithfulness. It's about His faithfulness. And He is love. And it never stops. He is fighting for you. And maybe you're thinking, well, this stuff doesn't really apply to me. Like, I, I don't really come to church that often. I, I don't really read the Word that much. I, I don't serve. I don't make a joyful noise that often. And maybe, maybe, you're sitting here thinking, well, what is next for me? Like, how can, I, how can I get in that routine? How can that be a rhythm of my life? How can I live a lifestyle of worship? Like it all sounds good, like that's the stuff I want to do, but I just don't do that stuff. So so what can I do to take those steps practically? And here's the good news. The good news is God never gives up on you because He doesn't give up on Himself. And He is the faithful one. The good news is is that He is who He says He is. The good news is, if you take a step of faith, He will meet you where you are. The good news is, you don't have to work your way to Him, because He worked His way to you. And I would encourage you, and if this isn't your lifestyle, if this isn't your rhythm, if you're not living this way, that you don't try to just do it all at once. That you trust God to lead you to whatever that next step is. And maybe you came in here and you just feel defeated and that the, the war cry just isn't, it isn't a part of your life. That you feel like your past has defeated you. You feel like your, your present struggle has defeated you. You feel like there's no future for you. And it's really hard for you to to cry out from a place of victory. And maybe that's the step that you take this morning. Is to truly believe deep within you that the victory has already been won. That the past doesn't define you. That your current struggle doesn't define you. That God defines you. And as a Christ follower, He says, He or she, that's mine. They're in my family. They're valuable. They're worthy. I have a purpose for them. And we cry out from a place of victory. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, it's just you're not serving anywhere. You haven't taken that step to get engaged and to plug in and to serve. And today, for you, just... Practically, you can go to the next steps table in the back after service and just just look around, figure out some, some different areas that you can get plugged into. We definitely have two things coming up. We have a trick-or-treat on Main Street that they do every year in Harlem. We always set up out there and we pass out candy and we just build relationships and, and talk to people. And then in November, we'll have a community Thanksgiving dinner where we feed people who need to be fed for Thanksgiving, who can't afford to feed that. And those are two easy ways for you to to plug in for outreach. And then there's multiple ways here at Impact Church to get plugged in and to begin to serve. And let me just say this, man. Thank you to our serve team. All of our serve team, our kids, our greeters, first impressions, our, our team up here, our team in the back, Everybody, our students, man, the serve team, they are the rock stars of Impact Church because they commit to worship through serving. Whatever your next step is, just take a little step. Just take a little step. I'm not telling you you have to get it all together. God never says get it all together and then come to me. You don't fix yourself up before you go to the doctor. You go to the doctor while you're sick. And God's saying, hey, I know some of you are sick. I know some of you are hurting. Come to me right now. You don't have to get better. I'll help you get better. And some of you, your next step is just to say yes to Jesus. You've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus. And after this response song, we're going we're gonna to baptize some people over here that have said yes to Jesus. And they were brought from death to life. And now they're publicly declaring that they are following after Jesus. And we get to symbolically see them buried with Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life. And maybe for you, maybe for you, you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.